we've been starting to respond to a series of prayer, and we've said simply prayer. And uh, last Sunday we lived together at Life of Daniel, and basically we, we kind of looked at the whole idea of how Daniel's life was characterized by prayer. We, we looked at the whole idea that actually his prayer life was quite noticeable. So not only they knew um, how he stood with God, but they knew where he stood with him. Um, Daniel's prayer life was marked by gratitude because when he went to God, it says he went with, to him with a thankful heart. And then we, we also were reminded, look at, the, at his occasion, at his um, situation in chapter 6, that his, his prayer was not a reactionary of a situation, but it was quite constant. And uh, it was quite interesting to see that, that mark. And, and, and also, he, we, we saw last week that Daniel's prayer was costly. And he was prepared not to jeopardize, not to compromise the cost of his relationship with God even though it may look that the end was for the lion's den. And I felt like last Sunday that we didn't finish, although I had planned something else for this Sunday, I felt like something that we did not finish well, or we didn't finish, because I think we can learn so much from Daniel. And again, this morning, I just want to draw our attention, not because I've got a specific interpretation about the book of Daniel, but I just want for us to look one more time at Daniel and his character, and his attitude and his 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 colourful prayer life. Um, if you stop on the chapter six and you look at Daniel's prayer life, you would do him a favour because we read earlier about his prayer life in chapter two, when King Nebuchadnezzar had called all the wise men to come. And not only to interpret his dream, but he had asked them that if you're smart enough and you know what you're talking about, you need to tell me what my dream was. Otherwise, you're going to end up being killed. And you look in chapter 2 of Daniel, that Daniel was introduced to the same challenge. And what he does, he doesn't panic again, but he goes... And he calls his friends, his friends, the three friends, and he challenges them to plead to God to show mercy for them in this situation. Then we've got Daniel chapter 6, where he's been caught being praying, or praying three times a day like he's normally done. And today we're going to look at another element of his prayer. And we're going to be looking at chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, there is 19 verses. We're not going to spend a lot of time with that um, in, in reading it. But we, we're going to be looking at a continuation. And we're going to be looking at you know, other colorful elements of, of Daniel's life. Especially when it comes to prayer. Now, I don't know if you remember the analogy that I used last week 
And I wanted to bring it again back because I've really been struck by the whole element of it. Um, um, for those of you who weren't here, I talked about me growing up and being a son of a mechanic. And there were certain tools in my dad's workshop that I could touch and I could play and I think even if they were lost, we are not talking about lost here, but even if they would be lost, we are not going to be a great deal. Now, there were certain things, certain tools that I know that there were these special tools that I would not even think about opening the drawer or going to the toolbox. And I wanted to bring that analogy as we think about prayers because sometimes we as Christians think of prayer as secondary, as something that even if we use it, it's not going to be a great deal. And I just want to bring that analogy back and say that if we look at the life of Daniel, I think it was the most precious tool that he had and was very dear and very close to him. So what elements are we going to see today in Daniel? Chapter 9, we're going to start with verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of reign, I, Daniel, understood from scriptures according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. <coughs> so here we've got a man of God who's looked back at the scriptures and have been, has been challenged about this prophecy that God has said something that has to do with his people Israel. And his heart is living out. Because Daniel is quite passionate for his people. He's quite passionate because he knows that he is entrusting his friends to a God who keeps his word. He is going back to God and he's saying, according to your promises, you have promised that the desolation of your people is going to last 70 years. God, hold on to your promises. And I'm pleading to you, I'm coming to you because I know that you are an amazing God. You are a faithful God. You are a God that doesn't change. And isn't it interesting how in this occasion, Daniel's prayer starts from the place of Scripture. Starts from a place to what God has said. <clears throat> starts from a place of security. And you see again that he is not being affected 
over the decimation of Israel is, is tearing him apart because again, he has been going through three different empires. He is not starting from the place. He is starting directly from God's heart for his people. Have you ever been surrounded by people who praise scriptures? Now, unfortunately, I have met a few people that use the scriptures to suit something that has to do with themselves. We used to come across back home to people who would just quote you verses after verses after verses and you would be blown away by the knowledge of the scriptures. But it had to do more with a normal human situation rather than who God was and what character of God was. So when we pray and when we bring scriptures into the picture, when we claim those promises of God, they bring bells of memory that God has been there through the centuries. And that's why my heart leaps out when I hear people that are bringing scriptures. Because we're coming back to the place of saying, God, this is who you are. It's the place of worship that Jen reminded us. We can pray all we want, like the Pharisees. But we cannot pray prayers that really have to do with the heart of God if it doesn't start from that place of worship, of who God is and what He has done. God, I've come to the Scriptures and I've read that you have promised to the prophet Jeremiah that the desolation of Israel is going to last for 70 years and you are a faithful God. And because of that, I can come to you. I can approach you. When you use scriptures in prayers, do you use them from the point of view that suits you? Or do you use them from the point of view that suits and matches, matches the character this is one thing that we can learn from Daniel this morning. To say that actually his prayers match God's character because he found that in the scriptures. I think one of the reasons why we don't pray scriptures a lot these days is because we don't know them. It's because we don't spend time with them. Because we are raising our children with not memorizing scripture. To which a good example he was to us all this morning. Another thing we, we, we should be coming across as over-spiritual. There is nothing over-spiritual about this. It's raising, passing on the baton to the next generation with a love for God's Word. And I think that the sad story in the Western culture is that we spent too much time 
agonizing the scriptures rather than endorsing them and saying, God, you have said, and I will trust because it comes straight from your mouth. And that's what Daniel is doing here. The other thing that Daniel does very interestingly is that even his prayers of intercession, very clearly, they do not come from a place of the hurt. Still, they match the character of God. It's a little bit what Mark shared about the prayers of the North Koreans. That they don't speak from their own situation, but they pray that Christ will be increased in them. That their love for God will continue to be faithful despite of the difficulties. The prayers of intercession comes from that place again of worship and place of confession. Recognizing who we are in regards to God and what we've done. Have a look what it says. O Lord, the great and awesome Lord, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have seen, we have sinned and done wrong. What a fantastic way to start the service today, Mark. Acknowledging that we are coming on God's turf on his terms. Recognizing that actually. We've tried to live for God. We've tried to live for God this week, but we have messed up. And we so need His forgiveness. We so need His interaction with us. We so need His protection. God, you have been faithful, but we have sinned and we have done wrong. We have been wicked and we have rebelled. We have turned away from your commandments and laws. We have not listened to your servants and the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes and our fathers, to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous. But this day, we're covered with shame. Do you see Daniel's heart here? Of all people, the top bloke in the Babylonian Empire comes to this place and saying he has sorted all things, but yet his relationship with God is paramount, and he is going to come to God on his terms, starting with the character of God. And in the light of this, you know how much you need his grace and mercy. Mind-blowing. And he goes on about the history of his people. The people that have given have been given a promise. A people that have been given a covenant. A people that have run away constantly from God. And then he says, no wonder we are in a mess. Because we have run away from you. Now, we live in a very messed up world. And I think one of the reasons why we are living where we're living in this day and age, with so much trouble in the world, is because we have run away from God. 
And I would like to encourage us to put those colors of God's character in your prayers of intercession. Because sometimes we focus so much on the marginalized, on the displaced, on the refugees, and all those things. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't. Don't get me wrong. Because I think this world is a messed up place. Look at North Korea. But we can look that up also in the light of how far this world has walked away from God. And how much God loves this world. And we know the truth from the scriptures that God so loved the world. Whether you are a refugee, whether you are a displaced person, whether you are somebody who is living in Bristol, whether you are a top bloke of an empire, God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the heart of God that needs to come back into our prayers of intercession. And the last thing, one of the things that we missed out on the last Sunday was in chapter 6, was the attitudes of the emperor. And if you go back to chapter 6, King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, verse 25, chapter 6, nations and men of every language throughout the lands. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. Interesting how a king speaks about another kingdom that will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. God, in chapter 9, same God of Daniel. God our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hands, who made yourself a name that endures to this day. We have sinned, we have done wrong. It's this glory, and the idea of glory in the Old Testament, it's weight. It's weight. It's the weight that comes with a name. And he says, God, you have not messed around. My prayer is going to be with God in focus. Now, how on earth do we make this Old Testament prayer something that we can endorse as a New Testament church? The truth of the matter is that we would have been easier than Daniel is. Because when Jesus lived this earth, He came and he told his disciples. And one of the things that he taught us is you pray in my name. 
Now, I know that it has become a habit that somehow we say, in Jesus' name, Amen, without sometimes meaning what, we, what we're saying. But what we're saying is what we are reminded in what Jesus, oh, this, what Jesus was teaching his disciples in John chapter 14. And I've done, I've done the, I've done the message version. But in John 14, he says, whatever you ask in my name that has got is in line with the heart of the Father, I will give you. The New Testament prayers are more powerful because they are being said, they are being brought out to God, not on our terms anymore. But we've got the mediator who is in the right hand of the Father and his name is Jesus Christ and his name is above all names. And therefore, we can say, Jesus, you have said, believe me, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. If you can't believe that, believe what you see, this works. The person who trusts me will not only do that what I'm doing, but even greater things. Because I, on my way to the Father, am giving you the same work you do that I've been doing. You can count on it. From now on, whatever you request, along the lines of who I am, my name and what am I doing? I'll do it. That's how the Father will be seen for who He is in the Son. I mean it. Whatever you request in my name, I will do. Hallelujah. I'm not going to put that person in the spot now, but I'm going to say that two years ago. Two or three years ago, we were praying for a particular person. And we were using the passage of James. And there is a message, there is a verse there that if you're ill, ask your elders <coughs> to pray for you. And they'll pray for you in the name of Jesus. And I believe that that was the first time that I saw that actually. Those prayers for healing, those prayers for intercession, those prayers for God to intervene to be done in the mighty name of Jesus. So let's be alert. Let's be on the ball how we use that in the name of Jesus in the end of our prayers. Because there is much more power to that name than when we just say in Jesus' name. What does that look like for us as Ken's wrote? I've been thinking in January that it would be good for us as we've been challenged about the way that we pray as a church, the way that we want to work on our prayer life as a community, an individual life of prayer. And um, I've really kept quite burdened as a share from Albania because sitting in the room with those church leaders there, I think we got, with those who were present, we got like a really smack on our hand because we were just <coughs> told, you don't pray enough. 
So what is it, something practical that we can do as a church and stuff? So I've been thinking and praying about this. And a week ago, I went to a church, um, Cleveland Baptist, and they put this prayer kind of visual aid that they use each year. And I thought, ooh, it would be good to plagiarize that and steal that. Not the idea, but I think, sorry, the idea, but not what they've done. So if you want to have a look at Cleveland Baptist, they've got it on their website. But I thought it would be good for us to do something that God has put in our hearts. And I'm going to, to suggest something this morning. And, uh, and I'd like to suggest that we also do that when we meet on the 27th of February till the 4th of March. Uh, we are still working out on how we want to plan the whole week of prayer because obviously we want children, young people, everybody to be involved there. So we're, we're going to get to you very soon with, with, with the visual aids and stuff. But um, one thing that I really liked as, uh, as I was reading this, this passage in uh, Thessalonians, and it talks about uh, being really focused on Jesus. And uh, it says, just walk a walk that is pleasing unto God. Not in a dogged religious blood, but in a living spirit dance. And my wife said, all the irony, dance. <laughs> <laughs> if Dave Winfield was here, he would probably. So what does that do? And I really want to work on this phrase, the living spirited dance. And what does that look for us at Cairns Road? As we look at the areas that we want to work and we believe God has called us. Family, we believe that God has called us that we need to work and focus on discipleship. And we believe that as a community, God has called us to be passionate and to be focused uh, on mission. So what does that look like? So I... I was really challenged by Pete Barton last week about a poem that he had read. And if you've got a chance today, go online on YouTube and you can read or listen to a poem from Mark and Duncan called The God Gazer. And Mark, Mark and Duncan is a Baptist minister of Gold Hill Baptist Church. And his bottom line is when we are God gazers, we come to the place that is no longer about us, but it's about Him. A little bit like Daniel. No, exactly like Daniel. So, but I just, in 2017, we pray that as a church community, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as followers and disciples of Christ, we will attentively look at this idea that we want intentionally to be God-gazers. But we would love to see and know the reality of the needy world. Wherever we are, wherever we are, family, workplace, mission, ministries here in the church, and stuff, that wherever God has placed us, that we will also look at the open door of the opportunity to be adventurous with God. The lesson that we learned from uh, one of the churches of Revelation.
that we will intentionally, we're going to be attentively looking for that open door of opportunity. Now, this I've stolen from the church in Cleveland. And I asked the pastor, what does that 100, they put 104 on the website. And he said, well, we spent eight hours average a day sleeping, one hour and a half average eating. So that puts our week to 100 hours plus. What does our discipleship look like in those 100 hours and plus? <coughs> Out of 168 hours that we've got in a week. That we would live victoriously from God's glory. And I would love for us as a church to move from that timid approach to that victorious way of living Christian life. Again, we learned from Daniel the promises, the scriptures, and stuff. Become expectantly prayerful. That when we believe that we're praying in Jesus' name, we're saying His name is bigger than the words that we're saying. And I'd love for us to be surprised by the power of the Spirit. And I'm praying for grooves. A living, spirited dance. Grooves. Do you get it? Thank you. 